many years ago in my former church, there was a young woman who came through the line. I didn't really know her. And she said, well, I want to see if I can set up an appointment to visit. I had no idea what she wanted to talk about. But she came that week, and she started to share what her life has been like over the last year or two. She had been in deep depression, so depressed that she never got out of bed. She just laid there all day long, doing nothing, going nowhere, deep, dark depression. And then something kind of clicked in her head. She said, I finally decided that I either need to step up to the plate or go back to bed. And I decided to step up to the plate. You see, staying safe in bed or on the bench in the dugout, you will never be in the game. You'll just be sitting in the dugout watching life go by. So you will never have the opportunity to make a difference in your life or those around you. Now, let's face it. If you step up to the plate, certain things can happen. You could get hit by the ball. And that's not going to feel good. You could end up striking out. But you also have the opportunity to hit a home run. My son, when he was in Little League, we uh, had this coach, and he was kind of a crazy dude. And he would try to get us all involved in the game, even the parents, and teach us all the signals. And, you know, and, and we weren't stealing any signals. Oh, I guess I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but one thing I found out one day was that uh, we were in a game, a very tight game. We were behind by, uh, by one run. The bases were loaded, two outs, and my son stepped up to the plate. Now, he wasn't a big hitter, and we were concerned. I was concerned. He's going to be so embarrassed. And guess what? He struck out. But what was amazing is how the coach reacted to it. He was so excited. He came running over to my son who was feeling really down and depressed like he had lost the game for everybody. And he came over. He says, you know, that's exciting. Can you imagine? Not everybody gets the opportunity to be, be there with two outs and have a chance of winning the game. And next time it happens, I'll bet you you're going to hit it. He was still in the game, even though he struck out. And actually, I think the coach kind of lifted his spirits a little bit. But you can't do anything, my friends, sitting on the bench. And I think, unfortunately, too many of us remain on the bench and just watch life flow by. Now, maybe it's because you have a fear of failure. 
that you failed many times in different uh, actions or different events or different things. Or maybe it's being hurt again. Life is tough. And evil is all around us. And sometimes we get hit by tragedy, illness, loss. For some young people, well, I guess older people too, but some young people, the loss of a relationship is crushing. I found that out when I was a chaplain with the Marine Corps. We had a series of suicides and my commanding general wanted me to check out what was going on and it turned out the majority of the kids that were committing suicide had just lost a relationship, a girlfriend or a boyfriend. They couldn't imagine that they could live a life without them. The loss of a job, devastating. Again, when I was in San Pedro, when I first went there, I went there in the 78, 79. And if you remember, the 80s economically took a dive. And many were losing their jobs. And many in my church at the time lost their jobs. But what was amazing was that because they lost their job, they had to step up again to the plate for something else. And they found jobs that they absolutely loved. Jobs that they never would have considered or looked at unless the door had been shut on that first job. They loved what they were doing. And they said, all of them said, God knew what he was doing. I was not happy when I first got laid off, but I was so thrilled to see God's hand in my life. Some of you may have heard uh, this uh, doctor and his wife, Dr. Paul Brand. Dr. Paul Brand wrote a fascinating book called Pain Nobody Wants, The Gift Nobody Wants. He was an orthopedic surgeon. His wife, Margaret, was an ophthalmologist, and they went to the mission field in India. And they spent 19 years in the 40s and 50s in the mission field in India. Eventually, they came to the States in Louisiana and they developed a leprosorium in Carville, Louisiana and spent another 20 years there. When they were in India, they noticed that no one would help those with leprosy. They wouldn't touch them, they wouldn't be around them, they didn't do anything with them. Their common a uh, phrase to them is, you know, they can't be healed, so why waste your time? But the branch decided to do something. So began an awesome ministry and life for the both of them. They stepped up to the plate for the least, the last, and the lost. Paul began to do research on about, I'd say, 12 boys with leprosy. And he discovered in India, rural India, he discovered the, that leprosy destroyed the nerves. Up until that point, most doctors felt that it was a disease that was deteriorating the tissues. It wasn't. It was the deterioration and the loss of nerves. The, the lepers could not feel pain. 
And because they couldn't feel pain, they couldn't feel their injuries or the runes. Like us, if we hit our hand on something or we stub our toe, we feel it. They couldn't feel it. And so these injuries were not discovered. And then they become infected and the wounds would, would uh, immediately start deteriorating their limbs and their toes and, and, and in infections. There was severe dis disfigurement and blindness. Miraculously, the brands discovered ways to help. The first thing that they did was to just take notice of wounds and injuries on everybody, always looking at everybody to see if there's something that they don't feel. And Paul began to do plastic surgery in rural India. You remember his, his specialty was orthopedic surgery. Now he's doing plastic surgery to restore functions. He fixed hands and feet by performing muscle and tendon transfers. He fixed facial dis disfigurements with skin grafts. Ironically, though, once he fixed these young boys' hands and their, and their faces and their bodies, they couldn't beg anymore because people thought, well, what do they need any money? Because they can now work. They can do whatever. And you would think that would be a roadblock. You're just like, okay, I guess I can't go much further. But that wasn't Paul. Paul's belief is that I'm going to find out a way to help them. And so what did he do? He taught them a trade. Plumbing and carpentry, electricity and tailoring. He didn't stop. He continued to step up to the plate. And what about us? We're working on something and we, get, we do fairly well with what it is and then all of a sudden we get blocked. Do we quit? Or do we try to figure another way around it and be, keep pursuing what it is God is asking us to do? Now, Margaret, amazing surgeon herself, discovered ways to cure their blindness. They couldn't blink, therefore their eyes dried up. Also, irritations were felt, which caused infections in their eyes. She came up with a brilliant idea. She took muscles and nerves, imagine, took muscles and nerves from the roof of their mouths and connected them to their eyelids. Don't ask me how she did that. And then she gave them gum to chew. She took the muscles that enabled us to clench our jaws. And by chewing, it caused them to blink. She stepped up to the plate and hit a home run. They weren't going blind anymore. But even in all this miraculous gifts that they brought to the India, the brand's constant prayer was that their patients might have pain. Prayed every day that their patients would feel pain. Without pain, their bodies deteriorated. Pain warns us something is wrong, right? Something uh, needs to change. 
but we want to, in the Western world in particular, we want to be anesthetized. We don't want to feel pain. And, you know, that's a multi-billion dollar business of all the painkillers that we could take. Paul seemed to actually understand that. Apostle Paul. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. There's that word. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. But it's first perseverance. It's first pushing before you get to character and then hope. We don't like to suffer or feel pain, and who would? But without suffering, we never grow. When I, again, when I was in the reserves, we started developing what they call returning warrior workshops. Because many of our Marines that were coming back from the war were really suffering, not just physically, but they were suffering in their hearts and in their soul and their life. War beats you down. War causes a wound inside, not on the outside. And they needed a way to relieve that pain. The theme of the Returning Warrior Workshops was this. You can't have transformational growth without struggle and suffering. Now, let me read that again. You can't have transformational growth without uh, struggle and suffering. In order to help them come back into society, we had to help them face what was traumatizing them so that they can work through it. You know, I think we all uh, remember back in the olden days when I was young, I, I, would, go out, I would go and work out in the weight room, you know, to get, ready, get stronger in the sport that I was involved in. But I didn't like it at all. I hated working out. And more than that, I hate running. Now, some of you probably are big runners. Sorry, I don't want to offend you. But running, to me, is the most boring thing you can do. And I know some of you are going to line up right out here and tell me how wonderful it is. But I'm just telling you. But you know, you remember when you're working out on Monday, Tuesday, your muscles are going to be sore. Why is that? Because you've torn your muscles up. You've stretched them. And Tuesday is the day that they recover. The spirit of a person is, is similar. The soul of a person grows after a major struggle or through suffering. Actually, I should say the soul has the opportunity to grow. You see, we have two choices when we experience struggles in life or encounter some type of suffering. We can either become a victim and allow this event or circumstance or person to color color the rest of your life. Or use it as a motivation for positive change in your life. There's a a fascinating book entitled Man's Search for Meaning, written many years ago by Viktor Frankl. 
It's a story of a man who became a number, who then became a man again. He endured years of unspeakable horrors in the Nazi death camps. He came out with a new approach to psychotherapy. It's called logotherapy. And in logotherapy, you help a person learn how to primarily motivate your, the primary motivation of force is the search for meaning. He helps them find meaning in their life, helps them find meaning in their suffering that they're dealing with. That's how you overcome. And in the death, camp, death camps, he found that his search for meaning enabled him to survive and survive beyond the death camps. His experience could have tainted his entire life, but it became the motivational force for meaning and purpose in his life. He once wrote, we watched and witnessed some of our comrades behave like swine. Others behaved like saints. You see, man has both potentialities within himself. Which one is actualized depends on choices, but not on conditions. Choices. Apostle Paul found meaning in his suffering. Something good could come of it. In all things, God works for good for those who love the Lord. And notice it, it says, in all things. He doesn't say all things work for good. He says, in all things. In the midst of your struggles and your pains, God is there to help you. The point is not that God brought suffering. The point is that God used Paul's suffering to produce something good. We know that suffering produces perseverance. There's that word again. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. It's the drive to keep going. And I think one of the young kids said that. The motivation to get out of bed. The young woman I told about at the beginning, it took her months to finally get out of the house. She slowly got out of bed. She slowly walked from the bed to, the, to another room. She slowly started to at least move around and get her clothes on and maybe take a shower. It took her a while to finally have the courage to step outside. Uh, James understood this, understood this lesson too. He said, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. There it is again. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking anything. You're not lacking anything. Now, let's face it, many of us try to avoid suffering and pain. But folks, it's impossible to do. You can't still get, you can still get hit in the dugout sitting in the, on the bench. And it's usually the guy that's not paying any attention. Avoid it, and you miss out on life. Encounter it head on, and you have the chance to make a big play. At least in the dugout, if you want to think of it in a positive way, at least in the dugout, you have front row seats. But you're doing nothing but watching. 
There is much tragedy in the world. We all know that. There's a great amount of suffering. We all experience some of it, some more than others. The question is, how are we going to deal with it? Step up to the plate or go back to bed? <laughs>